Chapter Two of Geographical Reader Europe by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter Two Southern Ireland. We take our waterproofs and umbrellas with us as we step from the steamer. The sun is shining, but Ireland is one of the rainiest countries in Europe, and no one knows when the weather will change all parts of the british isles are noted for their dampness and ireland so much so that the people of ireland have this saying in england it rains all day in scotland it rains all night but in ireland it rains both day and night it is by no means so bad as this but the air is wonderfully moist for the country lies right in the track of the water-laden winds from the ocean the rains being precipitated when they strike the mountains which run around the greater part of the coast it is this moisture that makes ireland so green the foliage looked as fresh as ohio in june when we first saw it from the deck of the steamer there are green trees and beautiful gardens about the white houses of queenstown which rise in terraces up the hills from the harbour and we do not wonder that the country is called the emerald isle ireland is indeed beautiful it is about as large as maine and somewhat like it in character it is a mass of mountains and rolling land with a low central plain sloping down to the east and with many lakes swamps and morasses it has much fine farming land and ought to be one of the richest and happiest lands of the globe what it really is we shall learn in our travels but see that crowd of rosy-cheeked poorly clad men who stand on the deck cracking their whips awaiting our landing they are the jaunting car drivers the jolly cabmen of ireland their faces are full of good nature and each has a good word for himself as he asks us in his queer brogue if we will be having a ride through the town behind his elegant steed in a car we choose our men and bargain with them to take us to the city of cork which is twelve miles away we then get on the cars each is a two-wheeled affair with seats high up over the wheels and steps below on which our feet rest we sit back to back in couples facing the fields as we ride and at first hold on tightly at every turn of a corner the load must be carefully balanced and when there are less than two or four passengers the driver sits at the side instead of in front we soon get used to the cars and then the ride is delightful the road is smooth and much of our way is under wide-spreading trees we ride through fields divided by green hedges or stone walls covered with earth upon which the grass grows the land is beautifully rolling there is a meadow in which fat cattle are grazing and there is a large flock of sheep on the other side of that hedge here the men are cutting the grass down with scythes and there is a field where they are hoeing the wide rows of dark green stalks which lie like ribbons upon the black soil those are potatoes a crop very important to ireland for it forms the chief food of the people where are the barns we see none to speak of much of the grass is fed green or put up in stacks after being made into hay now we pass a farm cottage covered with vines with a garden behind it and a hedge of blood-red fuchsias shutting it off from the road the house is quite small but it seems to be comfortable we are told it is the home of a well-to-do tenant farmer we next go by a park of wide-spreading oaks and tall elms 
with an ivy-grown porter's lodge at the side of the gate which leads into it beyond a great mansion shines out through the trees and our jaunting car driver tells us that it belongs to a rich lord whose home is in england he says that the lord owns an estate here of thousands of acres which he rents out in tracts to the people farther on we pass another estate and then another both of the owners living out of the country this is the condition of a large part of ireland the land is divided up in estates some of which contain as many as one hundred thousand acres in several cases one man owns a whole town all the houses and land belonging to him being rented out by his agents to the people after the rents are collected they are sent off to england so that the money is all spent outside ireland and the country is exceedingly poor the proceeds of the large farms go the same way and as the rents are high there are many many poor in ireland there are more than sixty thousand farms of less than one acre and more than that number which are between one and five acres in size the soil of ireland is rich nowhere in the world does the grass grow more luxuriantly there are few briars and weeds and little undergrowth in the rocky parts of the country the loose stones have been made into walls and fences and the soil gives large crops in some years ireland yields more than a million bushels of wheat about six million bushels of barley and almost fifty million bushels of oats the grass is sweet and the cows feeding upon it produce the richest of cream much of which is made into butter for export to england the climate is cool and moist and turnips cabbages and potatoes can be grown in large quantities the potato might be called the bread food of the irish it is about the most important crop and in good years it sometimes amounts to more than eighty million bushels this vegetable was not known in the old world until after the discovery of america it originated on the slopes of the andes whence it came to virginia it was taken from there to ireland during the days of queen elizabeth and in ireland it grew so well that it has generally come to be known as the irish potato it is now so necessary to ireland that when the crop fails it often causes a famine in eighteen forty six the potatoes were destroyed by a blight and during that year nearly a million of the poor died of starvation while many thousands left ireland for the united states some irish people had come to our country before then but that was the beginning of a great migration which has continued for many years and has given us several million excellent citizens we see the homes of the tenant farmers everywhere as we go on with our journey some are quite small and contain no more than two or three rooms many of the small houses are roofed with straw thatch but being built of stone they seem more substantial than the small dwelling houses in our country others of the houses are quite large and they compare favorably with the farmhouses of the united states they have gardens about them and barns and other buildings nearby notice the children many of them are bareheaded and barefooted but their cheeks are rosy with health they go to school during a part of the year in much the same way as the children of our country districts at home at other times the boys help their fathers by working on the farms and tending the stock there are many sheep in ireland and as we ride through the country we see the hills spotted with flocks watched by boys the little fellows run this way and that to keep the sheep from straying 
now and then one puts his hands to his mouth and calls out to a friend who has his flock on an opposite hill and now one shouts halloa to us as we pass as we go on with our journey we pass through regions where the tenants are far more prosperous the farms are larger and their houses are comfortable the people are better dressed and the children well clad we see better houses as we come near cork and in the best parts of the city we find many fine buildings cork is the metropolis of southern ireland it is about as large as troy new york it grows but little although it is a thriving port especially noted for its shipments of meat livestock and butter the cattle of southern ireland make excellent beef and cork butter brings high prices in the markets of england it is made without salt and it is so sweet that we eat it like cheese we walk down st patrick street stopping a moment at the great cathedral and going into several fine stores to see how the irish do business we stroll along with many well-dressed people under the wide-spreading elms of the mardyke the chief promenade of the city and later on take jaunting cars for the groves of blarney and blarney castle these are among the chief sites of southern ireland blarney castle was once the residence of the earls of clancarty it has been besieged many times and among its besiegers were oliver cromwell and king william the third king william destroyed it after the battle of the boyne so that now all that is left is the donjon tower this is in good preservation although the ivy has grown into the crevices and has twined itself about the top we climb step by step up the inside of the tower and then with our friends holding us by the feet hang down out of the windows and try our best to kiss the famed blarney stone set into the wall below this our guide urges us by all means to do saying that the kiss will give us such wheedling tongues that no one can resist us thereafter like a magnet its influence such is attraction it gives all it touches if you kiss it they say from that blessed day you may kiss whom you please with your blarney and also there is a stone that whoever kisses oh he never misses to grow eloquent don't hope to hinder him or to bewilder him sure he's a pilgrim from the blarney stone after leaving the castle we wander a while through the groves of blarney which are noted for their beauty and their flowers and then take the railroad through southern ireland to bantry bay whence we go by coach over the mountains to killarney our ride is through one of the poorest parts of the country the mountains are covered with verdure but they are rocky and wild and the scenery grows more and more charming as we near the lakes of killarney here the mountains are higher and seen from the lakes they tower up like a huge wall the tallest of them is only about as high as the alleghanies but they are the biggest mountains in ireland the moisture keeps them covered with green ireland has numerous lakes but those of killarney are by far the most beautiful they are three in number the upper middle and lower the upper lake is about a half mile wide and two miles long and it is connected with the middle lake of much the same size by the long range river which is three miles in length the lower lake is about as large as the two upper ones it has numerous islands and the scenery about it including the purple mountains covered with woods the silvery water and the evergreen shores unite to make a picture wonderfully beautiful we stroll about the shores of the lake 
and taking boats row over them from island to island end of chapter two